And it's worth pointing out that lots of the rights which the founding fathers came up with and which were incredibly radical and progressive for the time are still radical and progressive for Britain. We've never had anything like a First Amendment right to free speech in a way that the Americans have. Hello, welcome to episode six of Peak Performance with Paige. Today's guest is my good friend Will Singh. Um, we have a lot of interesting conversations in the average week, so hopefully we can cram in a lot of good stuff today. Uh, it'll probably go over an hour, I reckon. Welcome to the podcast, Will. Thank you. Hello. It's very good to be here after so many weeks. I was I feel like I was I was I was expecting to be in the in the like, you know, in the first couple of guests, Harry. I've been I've been snubbed down the order. It's your I wanted you in uh, episode one actually, but you said, Oh no, I'm gonna get cancelled. <laughs> I wanted to see the see what the, the feel of the pod was like before coming on, I'll be honest. It's good stuff, isn't it? We, it's good. To, it's very interesting. Uh, very varied, actually. Very varied, yeah. So, just as uh, I have with my my Twitter brand, which is all over the place, unlike those people that just make environmental tweets or, um, you know, the HS two tweets or they make <laughs> tweets about um, football or something. I will probably. It'll be interesting to see how I market my podcast, considering there's not one topic. It's a lot of politics, but there's not one topic that I go down. Yeah, I mean, you do everything, and your Twitter is the whole spectrum of the human experience really crammed into one Twitter time. I'm not even going to like the number of times that I like screenshot things that you tweet and send it to random people and be like, look what Harry Page has said today. This is insane. In a good way. Yeah, in a very good way. We love it. We know several. We know several people who who are huge fans of your tweets. Yes, one of yes, the person I'm thinking of in particular. I really want to get on the podcast, but um, and he was actually the inspiration for um having a broad podcast because of um where he works. He said, "Oh, I can't go on a politics podcast. I work for the government." And I said, okay, well, I'll make it so that we do travel and we talk about, uh, you know, what's your favourite food, what's your favourite music and stuff. And I'm quite happy with it, actually, as a broad, very broad uh, reach. So hopefully we can talk about some really fun stuff um, today. Uh, just before recording, we said we do French Revolution, American Revolution, and then hopefully finish off with some climate change. Wow. Fun stuff. Exciting. Yeah. Um, so the American, so people's conception of time is quite blotchy. If you think about how history is taught, I don't think it particularly helps that history teachers teach history sporadically so in primary school you might get which is what like five to eleven years old you might get a teacher one history lesson they will do like jesus then the next one they'll do like world war Two, and then the next one they'll do the pyramids so you're really bamboozled as to the progression of time okay you're the history expert right mm. how much in school outside of world war Two, how much did how much history were you ever taught post like 1600 before college yeah school we did my gcse i mean primary school it was all over the place mm. secondary school i actually spoke about this with a boy uh, on twitter who i'd like to have on um marxist boy uh the, the autumn term we did like 1066 
we had to draw like a feudal farm. You have to build a castle. Uh, some people did. Like I some built a castle. Yeah, I built a Mutton Bailey. Very nice. I we, I made a shield, and oh. yeah, like a Norman shield with a like a groovy dragon on, like a serpent. We've both been to Sutton Hoop. We have. I've got a Sutton great little place. Sutton Hoop story, which I will. That's quite a separate ramble. Oh no, what is it? Well, I mean, I did. I think I did a review of it. Like I actually reviewed my experience on Twitter. Oh, fair. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Um, the cool place. Yeah, uh, but then in the spring term, this was the spring of 2008. Back in the day, my history teacher was like, "Oh, it's the Beijing Olympics coming up, and this is really important for the world." Now we're going to do some Mao, and we literally went from 1066 rural. No. The 1960s Cultural Revolution across probably like four civilizations and one millennium, and people were like, "What? That's amazing." Yeah, we should we should stress we're not having a go at teachers. I had a great history teacher in school, love him, but um, it is kind of mad like the the, the huge gaps in curriculums. You're having a go at teachers. Yeah, I I went through state education, mate. Yeah, well, fair enough. Yeah, I was just trying. I was trying to be nice, you know. We're pro teacher. We like teachers. They're having a tough time of it at the moment. You know, they've just had to go back. They've all had to go back to work uh, mid pandemic. They don't get paid as much as they should. True, that is true. They are very overworked. We we, we, we respect teachers. I like when people say peak on the podcast. It's like when (laughs) someone says the name of the film, like in the film. Well, you should start having a kind of swear jar for saying peak or any of your other you know we've talked about having a soundboard of the things that you say mm. any of your other harry page slogans that's that's oh. the pound in the in the jar when you think that in the first episode the samples that i used at the beginning was me going careful <laughs> to dan green for saying something like really innocuous mm-hmm. silly and then last episode my good friend geordie aka dj rick sanchez said the c word and I kept it in because I thought, actually, I don't want to edit completely nuke the episode's content, which had, quite, bleeped it. Which had quite a few foul words in, but we stand. Um, I mean, yeah, in the, in the particular context in which that word was used. Um, it was said about the Home Secretary. Yeah, it was said about our, our current Home Secretary, in which case, kind of fair enough. Um, hard to argue with. But yeah, I mean, you could just bleep it. Hmm. But then I might get power hungry and just like bleep everything. Then you wouldn't have a podcast. It would always be redacted. It would be black bars over the audio. Be me like talking over everyone. <laughs> Good. Um, what's our What's our first subject, Harry? So I want to crack on with the American Revolution. You like the American Revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is interesting because. I would say, is it fair to characterise you as being on the left of the Labour Party? Yes, that's fair. Just about hanging on to the Labour Party. Probably left on it, at this, left of the party at this point in time. Yeah, if if I were to squeeze <laughs> within the Labour Party, you would be on the left. Yes, I'd be on the left of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. Bingo. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and so the consensus, which I agree with probably most of the meat of this argument, is the founding fathers were binning one group of rich English dudes mm-hmm. only to be another bunch of rich English dudes who famously did not free any of the slaves. Although founding father stands will be like, oh, well like two of them wanted to or like oh one of them liked <laughs> one of him was friends with his slaves oh do you want a medal um huh. and also if you look at the electorate it wasn't obviously um black men and women can vote white women can vote and not even all white men could vote yeah so this is quite a small franchise to have a revolution 
for? Like, what's your take? Because you like the Founding Fathers. Yeah. That was quite a broad question. What's your take? I thought I thought you might end up a, a more specific question that we could answer. Well, why, yes, do, you, I mean, why do you like them? Well, I think it's important when you talk about, like, are we pro a revolution or not? Is not so much do we like the individual characters involved or even do we support the domestic project that they oversaw once they were in power? Mm. It's fundamentally, are we for or against the shift in power structure, which that... Revolution is probably not even a good term for it. Like the Americans don't even call it that. They call it the War of Independence. <laughs> like, mm. So what, like, I think part of the kind of left criticism of the revolution is that we don't see it as a revolution. Um, and that's probably fair enough because it's, it's not really. Um, it's a war of independence mm. run primarily by a middle and upper class. But that doesn't mean that everything about it is therefore invalidated. Mm-hmm. And we have to acknowledge that the one big thing that it did do, undeniably, like whatever, whether you think this is good or bad, whatever your take on it is, you, you can't contest that it's the single biggest explosion of democracy as an idea pretty much in human history. I mean, it's, it's the turning point. You can disagree with this as a historian if you want to. It's the turning point of modernity where the idea of a modern democratic state at scale beyond a small city state. A republic exists a republic in any form right exists and again like obviously there are issues of who has the franchise there and who's actually a democratic citizen but the whole the whole concept that you can found a state on people are free and equal and they have rights irrespective of are they part of the ruling class or do they derive those rights from the monarchy or whatever it is Mm. right we wouldn't be having any of the conversations that we're now having without that moment in history it, it presages all of the subsequent debates. It's it, it's uh, to the point where I kind of feel like not supporting that event. Mm. It, it it would be like opposing your own birth. Like it's just it's just a prerequisite for the conversations we're now having. Like you can't the the world that we have now wouldn't be imaginable without that transformation taking place. And of course, you can criticize like all of the players involved, and rightfully so because they're not on the same side as we are <laughs> in a whole host of different reasons that you've, you've eloquently explained. Most of them were a bunch of um, racists and slave owners and, and, and all the rest of it. Yeah. That doesn't, which is, which is a big deal, right? And that matters and that they shouldn't therefore be heroes of the political system you want, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not the same as saying, what's the system change? What's the paradigm shift? Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's away from basically monarchic control towards we're going to found a system based on people having rights. Mm-hmm. And that still underpins what we have now. And also, oh. part of the reason that we should, we should still kind of stand that moment is because there's a real... What's the right phrase for this? There's a complacency that I think British people especially have mm. where we go, oh, we're a democracy now. Right. So we can look back on historical moments of democracy and critique that as if we're inherently better. But in lots of ways, we're not. And you could talk about all the contemporary examples that back this up in terms of all the things the government is currently doing, which make our society more authoritarian. Than the lots, of the, lots of the rights, lots, well, than than that we, than that we were 10 years ago, for example, than that we were five years ago. Right? Sure. Britain, Britain is getting progressively more authoritarian. And it's worth pointing out that lots of the rights which the founding fathers came up with and which were incredibly radical and progressive for the time are still radical and progressive for Britain. We've never had anything like a First Amendment right to free speech in a way that the Americans have. Mm. And we've never had a whole host of those sorts of rights in a way which apply to everyone in British society. Um, And it's important that people recognise that because sometimes we just assume that this thing happened a few hundred years ago and it made America a bit more democratic, but actually it's irrelevant to Britain now because we're like way more democratic and equal than that society would ever be. And it's not really true. But the Americans did have mass internment of Japanese people as well as, to a much lesser extent, Italian and German people in World War II. I don't think... Yeah, in the same way as, <laughs> in the same way as we were running, we pioneered concentration camps. I mean... Well, in the Boer War. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and throughout, I mean, throughout the empire. <laughs> yeah, but within the UK, I don't think we hmm. have been mass interning people. Semantics. I don't think either either comes out quite well here. Well, did no? Well, we, we did a we did a bunch of anti-Italian and German internment during the war, 
and, and mass censorship of media for the entire war period, which then continued after the war. By the way, do you know about D-notices? No, go on. You heard of this? No. Most people don't know about this, right? This, that, this is the kind of thing which sounds like a mad conspiracy thing, except that it's 100% real. Um, and I think it's a legacy of the system that was put in place in the First World War, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but there's basically a thing where if you're a journalist and you want to write a story that has implications for quote-unquote national security, which tends to basically mean whatever governments want it to mean, I guess, um, you can get issued with this thing called a D-notice, which is basically just a sort of undisclosed, broadly secret government tells you don't print this thing because it will be bad for national security. And broadly, journalists comply with it because nobody wants to be the journalist that prints a story that gets somebody blown up. And it's, it's, it's a form of mass censorship of media, which has its origins in all of the wartime censorship. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty mad. Good facts. Thank you. Absolutely going off there on civil liberties. We love it. Um, are you, are you, are, yeah, this is good content. We love it. Um, French Revolution, which is what, 10, 15 years after American Revolution, a lot more messy, but they still been their monarch, who was probably one of the most prestigious in the world. And they have a declaration of rights, the rights of man. Mm-hmm. Off. And of the citizen. And of the citizen. Yes, because now the French Very have important. this whole... Very important. They have this weird concept this of whole French. whole thing about citizenship. Oh. We're not going to get into it right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll go on a rant about... We're not going to touch that. The absolute state of Frenchness. Um, but after the French Revolution and Napoleon, you then have this weird thing where the king gets reinstated. The king of France, mm. after one king gets killed, you then have the restoration and then the other branch of the family, which is which was more liberal mm. in the 1830s, um, ended up ruling France. And then you have Napoleon III and you have this like, other stuff roll on but it, it's interesting how like the french revolution in some ways had a very immediate very important place on world history but then partially got reversed and has sort of what i want to go with this conversation is talk about constitutional monarchy specifically in the uk Mm-hmm. <laughs> directly on from uh, guillotining monarchs oh lord yes guillotine the monarch uh, I, I feel like i don't know if i don't know if it's the sort of cumulative effect of the pandemic and lockdown or possibly just a growing realization of capita's life but i'm getting increasingly pro guillotine i feel like the french may have been onto a good idea then. jacobin singh um French terror. It's probably quite a pro-American point, by the way. Probably quite a pro-American revolution point that of the of those three that we would now refer to as the West, of the, the French Revolution, the American Revolution, and the English Civil Wars, which also chopped a monarch. Great idea. Uh, the American is the only one that fundamentally lasted. Mm. But the monarchy debate in the UK... Mm-hmm. is on one side you have like the republic group who say scrap the monarch mm. and presumably we have an elected or a designated head of state and then on the other yeah. side you have a lot of people who including a lot of the conservative party grassroots who come up with these weird wishy-washy arguments which is really goes to the heart of the idea of a constitutional monarchy where you're trying to juggle this concept of universal equality, you're just as important Mm -hmm. as an aristocrat or whatever, as opposed to the feudal period where literally different classes of people had different rights. 
and different responsibilities and paid like different taxes to the church and like some people didn't because some people could never own land yeah very weird stuff going on um but the arguments that people come up with to defend the monarchy they will say either like oh i like this particular person like the queen or prince william or they will say it brings in money but, but, oh. they will never defend like the concept of i believe in that person because their father was the king and their father was the king and they were chosen by god i don't think anyone actually believes unless you're like a super traditionalist like niche i probably mm. you probably cast that as the far right but in a non-conventional way these people who have like pictures of like different kings as their profile picture or whatever Stuart we King. could also call it the the, the pre well, it's pre modernity American order of independence status quo. Yes, exactly. Would be another way to phrase that. Um, I think you're right. Like the funny, the funny thing about the modern support for the monarchy is nobody actually believes that. Like nobody no. cares. It's just that they we have to have these like pointless signifiers of tradition because it's just what people like. Mm. But also, I'm kind of not that. I feel like we would both vaguely describe ourselves as Republicans. Is that fair? But also, I don't really, I, I, I can't really persuade myself to care about groups like Republic because I feel like it's just not. You're never gonna, you're never gonna win the British public over by having a twenty-year PR campaign and then a referendum. I just don't see that that's the way that you're ever gonna get rid of a monarchy. If it happens, it'll be because like Elizabeth dies and then we end up with Charles and he's clearly a moron and does something really stupid and then support for republicanism is going to skyrocket i mean i feel like that's the only way it ever happens right but the next king charles mm -hmm. charles 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 the third hello his brother is allegedly up to all sorts of things yes we have to be careful here allegedly up to all sorts of fishy things allegedly allegedly as per the bbc interview very establishment citation. Can we say he's allegedly a nonce? You can say whatever you like. He can say he's allegedly a nonce <laughs> if you want to, mate. Mm -hmm. People uh, presuppose. I mean, look. People presuppose that he's a, a fishy character on the basis that he said that he can't sweat, which is a interesting comment. Can't um, sweat. Can't look. One feels. All we'll say is careful. He he wasn't he wasn't in pizza express in woking was he that's that's we know that he, so what, what he was getting up to i don't know not, he is not a wasn't... he's not i'm not saying he's not a pedophile he's not okay <laughs> i'm also not saying anything my point is but i do i think i th well, yes yes what's your point Liam, my point is that if somebody in the royal family were to do a crime, let's say the queen decides to fire a sniper rifle and just like shoot people on the high street, no, far too extreme. Mm -hmm. let's, let's say like the the somebody in the monarchy was <laughs> far too extreme an example. Let's say someone in the monarchy was doing something that an ordinary citizen. I mean, we've 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 already crime. we've already discovered that. That, that allegedly being a nonce is not too extreme. So, I mean, maybe we have to go to your shooting people on the street example. Yeah, my my point is it's not enforced. Yes, what's your point? In theory, <laughs> viewers should know that we talk quite a lot and a lot of our conversations end up quite, at quite silly angles. So this is just the um, manifestation of our very uh, informal silly talking about if you don't say, if you don't if you don't say what your point is listeners will start throwing things at their screens everyone's tuned in um they love it <laughs> the people they the people flock to the podcast L legally everyone's equal but in practice they're not there we go that's that was the whole point that's the take that's the whole take 
I do have a. I, do I mean, a, yeah, that's true. For you. Yes. Okay, so uh, Sunday the 28th of March, Channel 4 News was on, and after Channel 4 News for dinner was that Escape to the Chateau program. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a posh chateau in France, and like some English people renovate it. Okay. And at the start of that program, it had a picture of, you know, like one of those old fashioned carriages, like from uh, is it Cinderella. And the woman's narrating said something really interesting. She was like, oh, have a modern day 21st century French fairy tale. And I thought that was really interesting. Like, I'm probably deeping it and over reading into just like normie TV. But the way that she incredibly romanticized, if you're saying like a modern day French fairy tale, and shadows were for aristocrats, right? This romanticizing of mm. pre modern Europe, a bit like how Disney will like fetishize feudal Europe. And monarchy. They're always like kings. They're always like love stories with kings and stuff. Is similar to, here we go. He's strapped in. Is similar to Edward Said's famous Orientalism critique. Where's the Sussex University swear jar on this podcast? Oh, people today, yeah. modern Western people, just fetishizing interesting concepts feudalism or like the ottoman empire or something like what's that about feudal europe wasn't very fun to live in and no i'm not particularly up for plague and pestilence and you don't have to go very far for plague and pestilence at the moment and then (laughs) oh lord and then the channel four program is going oh wow have a modern day French fairy tale. Come to the chateau. It's like the medieval period was full of war and poverty. And would you mass- rather be okay a medieval king yes. or just a modern day bloke? A modern day bloke in terms of what? Just, just you. Probably a king. Yeah. See, so there you go. That's what they're selling you. They're not selling you go be a peasant. It's very specifically go have a the fairy tale of you're a, you're a medieval king. The way systems of hierarchy work is they kind of make you ignore the structure as a whole and then they focus you in on like the juicy. You can be at the top of this horrible pyramid of inequality mm. Ooh, you can you can run a deeply stratified uh country full of like crushing poverty as opposed to oh you can yeah. live it you can live in a country the same as everyone else with one car and a house yeah because that sounds less good it does sound less good it's great propaganda it's sort of like so. Yeah. You don't really need to convince anyone. Wow. You heard it here, episode six of peak performance. Yeah. Allegedly, left wing will sing endorses systems of class. Get to the shadow. Wow. I don't think that is. The, I'm not sure that is the takeaway. Wow. I will put in the caption for the episode. We'll sing indoors. Episode six of peak performance. I only I I only asked if you would rather be a medieval king or a modern bloke, and you said king. I've said nothing. I thought you said me too. No, you know what I don't know. I don't know because I can't tell how bleak it would be to live in that period with just like all of the the day-to-day bleakness that you can't escape by being a king like what are they using as toilet paper 
which is like I have these sorts of questions are important. Well, so I know in a castle, literally in the corners of the castle, are very uh, like you will go to like the fifth floor and do your business in the toilet in the bathroom, the toilet room, and then it just goes. They don't have a flushing system, so it just goes straight down, just drops down into like the waste bit at the bottom of the castle. And then somebody that doesn't go, sound good. Someone would either that would go like into the moat, which would be sort of like festering and a bit dodgy, or maybe some poor peasant would have to like burn all the. That's quite a dirty question to ask. I'm just going through all the issues. We'll sing. Like, would you want to live? Would you want your house surrounded by a moat of sewage? Probably not. Yeah, so maybe we don't want to be the medieval king. I'm just exploring the options. I wouldn't want to be a Norman. This podcast is officially anti-Anglo-Norman. Not a fan of the... Mm. Nor- yeah, I know the podcast as a whole takes a stance. If you somebody comes on and says, oh, I think the Normans were actually... Oh, they gave us last names. Banned. Banned from the podcast. <laughs> so you'd be at, at 1066, would you? With your little bow. Oh, definitely, mate. I would absolutely no, not a bow. I would time travel with like machine guns, and the little innocent Normans would come. No, up. that's not allowed. That's cheating. That's cheating. You've Broke got if you're, gonna, if you're gonna Broke play, care. you're you're in there in the melee. Nuke Normandy. Yeah, mace. You can't nuke Normandy, and also I'm not sure if that would help you because <laughs> you you kill. At least one English king, apart from anything else. Rubbish, rubbish people. How did we get here? Uh, you were endorsing the class. Ask your listeners. And First of all, the listeners didn't want to know about you talking about poo, uh, and you were also endorsing the class Listen. system. So this is turning into the. I don't think either of these things happened, but just because you're. Keep us on track. You're the host. What's your next question? It's not that rigid. I write down in a Word document <laughs> A, B, C, D. Uh, what happened in the Glenn episode mm. was Glenn actually talked really quickly and caught me off guard. And you can tell there's several points in the episode where I'm like, uh, do you want to talk about some more music? I was really you're buffering, on- yeah. I was on the ropes. Um, but usually I just write... See, there's no, there's no buffering here. No. We go straight into the sewage moat discourse. <laughs> we talk about some absolute rubbage, you know. Is we've said before that if someone wants to go into our messenger, they will find all kinds of absolute detritus. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> well, we frequently apologise to whichever GCHQ officer has been given the the task of um, stalking those messages. Yeah. They do talk a lot of rubbish. Absolute. Um, this is great fun. See, like, uh, we're going to move on to climate change because your master's in is in climate change. But uh, I, I am enjoying the silly, the silly banter. You need a bit of levity for sure. For example, listeners, in case you're concerned. An example of what Harry sends me on Facebook. No, oh god. Blackpool, black. He says, he says, Brazil is basically Blackpool, but really big. Did you screenshot that? Of course. I hope because I'm still, I'm still taken aback by it. We're gonna have to talk about this afterwards. I hope you're not like getting any in trouble or cancelled to people. I don't really. No, I just take pictures of the funny things you say. I, I only, I only get the funny things you say. Because I'm like, this is amazing. What, what extraordinary <laughs> take. Blackpool, Brazil is Blackpool. If you're from Blackpool, go to Brazil. If you're from Brazil, probably don't go to Blackpool, but it's just like a smaller, wet version of Brazil. Brazil I think you wet. just mean it's got a beach. No, no, I don't. Okay. I don't want to slander Blackpool. You don't want to slander the people of Blackpool? No, or Brazil. But I'm not sure if I would go to Brazil. Fair enough, man. 
we're actually going to talk about Brazil in this episode. We're going to talk about the Amazon rainforest and everyone's favourite dodgy right-wing um, pro-army, anti-LGBT, anti-black, anti-basically everyone, Bolsonaro, who is going to nuke the earth with his cutting down of the natural carbon sponge. Oh, that's oh, why do you do a masters in climate change? Do you find that's quite depressing? I've said absolutely nothing. You've worked yourself into despair and then blamed me for it. Why do um, you do a masters no, in no. surfing? Or- the thing is... <laughs> The thing is, I, I, no, I don't think it's present because it's a, it's a fact of life at this point and, and has been for basically all of our lifetime that we are fundamentally binning the climate on an unimaginable scale. Um, so I, I find it weirdly optimistic to, to um, study the specific ways that we're doing that rather than allow the more general sense, sense of doom to set in. Um, I did a I did a project once on um, mass extinction events that have happened on the Earth before, which is pretty cool. There's loads of them, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, most famously, the dinosaurs, but others before. Rip. Um, and again, like I kept I kept explaining this to, to people really excitedly because I was like, "This is awesome," um, and they were like, "This just sounds very depressing. Why are you doing this?" Um, but yes. actually, once you take mass extinction as your baseline, like once that's the bar everything else feels relatively modest um like as much as this is a sort of climate denialist trope it is also true to say that the earth has changed a whole lot more in its history than it has or will in a human um epoch that shouldn't be reassuring to people obviously but um it does give you a sense of scale and proportion which I think is probably useful in the climate debate. And we're probably not going to nuke ourselves as badly as the dinosaurs got nuked. So once you set the bar there, <laughs> at least it's a, a little bit less depressing than that. My first uh, port of call in the climate change questioning, is it? Is it warming? So, <laughs> good. So like, you can Google, and there's a load of results. I'm sure you can do this now. Like, this is basically off piste. Go and Google, like, mini ice age. Or, I'm sure, have you heard of these comments about, like, the fact that the UK might be getting really cold this century and that we might see a resurgence of, like, the North Sea and the, the Baltic Sea, the North Atlantic getting actually, if not icy, then very cold like very cold weather because at the start of the year I saw something from BBC News where they said oh in 2100 it won't be snowing anymore in the UK it will be impossible to find snow anywhere but then I've similarly I've seen um, literally just tons of articles saying that north like Scandinavia uh, probably northern I don't know northern Poland Germany Scotland England Ireland will be cold so are they contrasting views or can it be really hot on the equator and then also really cold in northern europe yeah i mean first of all that's probably basically what you'd expect isn't it in that we know that the one pretty much guarantee is that changing a climate will heighten its extremities so the places which are getting hotter are going to get a lot hotter in the places which whatever right so on that on that one obvious point yeah but the the broader picture which i think is important to say um and this is my take on it lots of people will disagree and have different opinions um but the the biggest thing in 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 studying climate really is that nobody has any idea what's going on as much as you can make forecasts and project projections and you can study the short term and the long term of evidence really no one's got any idea what's going to happen in the next several decades of a human lifespan you can pretty much say what's going to happen in the next several centuries but it's very difficult to measure the time frame uh, as short as decades because as i said in the lifetime of the earth decades is nothing so Mm. it's incredibly difficult to measure that um 
And therefore, yeah, I mean, it could get hotter in the UK or it could get substantially colder or it could just swing wildly between the two. I mean, one I've thing seen, that, yeah. I've seen, like, I think The Economist has done one of these maps where it will have, like, cities today and then cities in 2050. And it's like Madrid has gone up to, like, central France and then, like, the Istanbul dot has moved up to, like, Germany. Mm. Like, this crazy transition. And it's northwards. And they will say, like, you will have Paris summers in London and, you know, like Leeds will feel like London is now in August. And, you know, like Scotland will be 25 degrees Celsius on the, in like an average summer day. 28. Yeah, I mean, what one of the problems that all of these kind of studies have is that they usually... By the time they end up in news reports, they're usually based off one study that's been done, hmm. which usually takes one factor or a couple of factors and extrapolates that out to, you know, what impact will that have on the world? But in reality, it's, you know, you've got 10 or 20 or 100 different effects all going on at the same time in different orders and interacting with each other in different ways. Um, and it's pretty much impossible to accurately model that. One of the things I found interesting is um, at the cutting edge of trying to forecast climate science obviously you have incredibly complicated models so to do it you need to run it through a kind of insane supercomputer right as with most cutting edge science um and interestingly of all of the new wave of supercomputers that are getting built climate science is never in the like priority groups to get access to that technology which i think is interesting they give it to like the, the, the robotics and the AI and the space people before they give it to should we save planet Earth people, which is pretty revealing about priorities. Um, but I mean, one of the examples of that, for example, is um, there's been a whole lot of stories recently about how um, the Gulf Stream and all of the other sort of ocean flow currents around the world are going to get really horribly knocked off. And the amount that they get knocked off depends on the amount of sea level rise and depends on the amount of you know acidification and salt in the ocean and all sorts of different stuff um so you know you could have a point where if you warm the earth suddenly you melt a bit of the arctic you mess around with the ocean that warms the planet but it throws the gulf stream off which gets the uk colder right mm. but you could have that at the same time as getting a bunch of ridiculous heat waves in the summer so these things all kind of happen at the same time and in a really horrible way but nobody actually knows how they interact with each other because it's like impossible to model properly I've seen that this, there's, there's like a weird interdependence between rainforests and sand from the Sahara. Mm. Do you know anything about this? Like, basically, it would be undesirable to get rid of the Sahara Desert, I think, because of its impact on the Congo River Basin, if not also the Amazon. Mm. Um. I literally just remember that without any context at all. <laughs> You've just thrown that in. Yeah, oh, sand is good. That's interesting. We like some sand. Not a lot of sand, but... Sand is good. Some sand. Fair. Mm, sandy boy. Wow. <coughs> is it to do with sand as basically a fertiliser? Is that a thing? The wind blows it and then the jungle is like, oh, sand. Wow. Do you remember a couple of years ago when the sky turned red because there was a bunch of sand and dust? 2017. Yeah, that was weird. That was in the autumn. I was around a friend's house and I was smoking and I kept looking out the window, out of the curtains and the sky was like a really weird colour and then we were like because we had been smoking, I'd be like, oh, I'd look out the window and be like, oh, no. And so that was really terrifying, actually, that day. That it felt day. extremely end timesy. I'm pretty sure I was in a philosophy seminar about existentialism. And then we, we all left and it was like, oh, cool. The apocalypse is literally happening. Calm. <laughs> we are prepared for this now. We get some weird weather systems in the UK, don't we? We do. Also, I mean, not that weird compared to lots of places. No, but like we get a, a lot of variety. We get some really Arctic weather. We get weather from like the Western Mediterranean and like Morocco. We get 
feel like this might be quite a British take. I don't know. I feel, like, I feel like, yeah, I feel like the British climate is just pretty much mild all the time. It gets a little bit warm and sometimes it rains. Near where I'm from, St. Osef, is the driest place in the UK and technically would be a desert if not for, like, I don't know the fact that there's trees and it's by the coast or something it meets the rain qualifications for being a desert yeah you've told me that before and i don't understand how it's possible neither do i but it's a fact so, <laughs> so we will take it i'm just accepting it at face value no further evidence required your honor deserty deserty essex the great essex sand kingdom take a we're supposed to get some uh, we're supposed to get some hot weather this week Toasty weather. Yeah, toasty weather. I like that. Um, so now I want to talk about more contentiously. You're a fan of Ed Miliband, the ex-Labour leader who had the picture of him eating a bacon sandwich. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I would call. I don't know if I would call this a fan of Ed Miliband. I'm not sure I voted for the Labour Party when he was the leader of it, which oh, really? is probably the, the low bar of being a fan. I actually, but yes, voted, I think... I actually voted for him in the, that general election, 2015. But yeah, I mean, I, 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 yes, what you're getting at is that I think among members of that current shadow cabinet, he's among the most thoughtful and brightest and, and occasionally says vaguely radical things about climate. Yeah. Well, you said that you didn't want him promoted from that post because he is competent on climate change. Yeah, and because whoever else they got in would, would do it worse. Having said that, he gave what was supposed to be his big speech about climate last week. Um, and it was, I mean, there was zero substance in it. It was it was less substantive than the stuff he's been saying since last year. So, um, yeah, it's again a classic example of somebody underneath Keir Starmer saying something substantive, sending a speech to the leader's office, and it gets like vampiric sucked all the life out of it and comes back as an empty husk with a bunch of rhetoric. So, oh, unfortunately, Ed's not really saying anything good anymore either. Oh, Lord. Peak. Yeah. Um, it's a shame. So, I take it also, you want... I take it... No, no. What's what's your, I want your opinion. Give us your Keir Starmer take. Give us your Keir Starmer take. No, I wasn't going to do... Oh, well, Keir Starmer is a very good person and... I think the whole population of the UK should vote for him. He is clearly an authentic, well-likable, genuine character mm-hmm. with great mm-hmm. ideas and isn't a massive tool that should be catapulted into the sun. Um, there's a there's a Labour Party press officer just out of shot on Harry's camera <laughs> holding a gun. Um, yeah, no, I don't like him. Yeah, go on. Go on. What was your question? <laughs> I take it you want uh, like a carbon neutral economy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That means less growth, right? That means less GDP. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Not necessarily, but probably, maybe. In the short term, no. I want to talk to you about this mine in Cumbria. Oh, yeah. Go on. I support the mine in Cumbria. <laughs> I will happily... why, why do you support the mine in Cumbria? I will happily uh, be paid by the government to go around Cumbria evicting people from their merry green farms and fields to support a horrible coal mine. Ugh. So here are the facts on the coal mine. I've got some, <laughs> I've got some facts. Well... Look at me actually oh, doing yes. for my own podcast. Journalism. We import 3 million tonnes of coal a year for steel production. Mm-hmm. So this mine is for steel production. 81% of imported coal is shipped from Russia and America. So... What we're doing is we need steel for things. And if you follow like steel industry news, which I do, which is quite niche, basically the steel industry is treated like rubbish in this country because we 
are not protectionist at all. We don't have like state aid, and it's just. Which I think one the one of the UK steel companies was briefly bought up by like a Turkish pension fund. Like it's some really tragic behavior. Like what happens with the steel? It when you consider that I think it was in the 1850s, the north of England made 50% of all the steel finished steel in the world, which is a mental statistic. (coughs) We need steel. We need coal. Currently, the most common way of doing that is getting coal for steel. And instead of just having our own coal mine, or because it's very bad for the environment, we just import the coal from somewhere else. So we're still doing the naughty thing. We're just getting someone else to do it. And then Mm -hmm. we're making the finished product i don't see why we can't have jobs in the uk towards doing that in the region that was completely gutted of energy jobs by margaret thatcher you actually see like weird conservative like stan accounts who are like oh i thought you wanted to save the climate that's why destroying trade unions was a good thing like i don't see what's wrong with having a making steel in the uk with coal a little bit just a little bit of coal just a little bit a little bit of coal a sprinkle of coal um yeah i mean on one level it's a good point and it's it's correct to say that for about the next 10 years we need coal for steel production and we do need buckets of steel to make wind turbines and hydroelectric plants and all the rest of it rail the problem is and <laughs> you make the point about jobs but we know that all of the stuff is supposed to get phased out by 2035. That's the current target. Even arbitrary, that's the government arbitrary. say no coal for steel by that point. Yeah. Well, it's arbitrary except to the extent that the more of this crap we burn, the quicker we all die. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's an arbitrary date, but it's also quite an important one. But the UK um, has moved to renewables. And at quickly. some point... If you look at the pollution from, I mean, I know I'm just like, no, it's true, and it's countries. Some of the naughty countries, naughty Indians, naughty Chinese consumers, will will say, oh no, that's not true. That is true. Shocking countries. If you see some of these rivers, it's really full of rubbish. And naughty- and the claim here is what exactly? What is the argument? The argument is just sort of that, like, lazy, cheeky, or oh, other people should do more, let's... There you go. The argument is we shouldn't do anything because someone else is worse than us. Like, I don't really care. It's, this is irrelevant. <laughs> no, like, when it comes to, like, air pollution, obviously, mm. I believe that we should have, like, car-free zones in cities. It would be nice mm-hmm. if we could just move away from, like, petrol cars and stuff. It's just good for people's lungs. But mm-hmm. I think putting a lot of just saying like oh the uk's up for being eco-friendly let's just like dump a lot of the responsibility on us when we're quite small as a country yeah but i mean the whole point of globally binding climate targets which we're a signatory to is that you avoid that kind of problem Mm. i don't know i think the the thing that china is doing i think the thing with the coal mine, right, is this, it kind of gets to the heart of how actually this whole thing is an argument about, it's about capitalism, kids. Um, but it is, because even, if you ask the, even the people who want to build the mine and the government ministers who at one stage were going to approve it, their argument for it isn't actually, we need coal to do it, to build a load of steel, to build renewable energy sources, and then we're going to phase it out in 10 years. If that's the argument which they want people to make and they want supporters to go out and say in the media and say on Twitter and whatever, they want to, people to make that argument because that sounds pretty good, then that there's a, there's a case you can make for it. Right? There's a good faith argument on those terms. But that's not actually the terms by which it was going to be built. It was explicitly going to be built because one, it's a PR win for the government to build blue collar jobs in, as you say, an area of the country which hasn't had that much new investment in recent years. Uh And two, it's going to make it cheaper for the steel industry if they have locally sourced coal rather than importing it. Yeah, That's the entire argument. 
It's not actually, it's not got anything to do bad, with though. we need coal. Sure, it's not bad. But then the argument comes down to, okay, we want jobs. Is the only way to do that building a new coal plant? No. So can we find a better way to get new jobs in those areas? And can they be doing that in a way which isn't going to die off in another 10 years? Because that's really important. If you build a coal plant now, it's gone in 10, 15 years. So what? Do, how are you going to fix that jobs problem? You're better off investing that money in new, you know, re either renewable energy or new jobs, which are going to last a long time, which you can train people for, and it's going to set them up for a whole career in life, rather than trying to resuscitate a dead industry for another 10 years just because it's an easy win do you and then on the on the on the on the cost point Ooh. the other thing okay so that's the jobs you've also thought oh it's cheaper for british steel as you said british steel is getting screwed anyway nobody in government cares about british steel if you have a joined up industrial strategy for how you're going to build a bunch of renewable energy using british steel then you probably have to nationalize british steel <laughs> That's yeah. because that's a because that's a core part of the step to building it in which case it doesn't really matter it doesn't really matter at that point the cost thing matters to british deal now because they're on the brink of going bankrupt so of course they want every cost saving they can come up with yeah. if you if you fund it properly as part of the process it doesn't really matter wow go off pew, pew, pew. Pew, pew, pew. You... And also, it's just a load more inefficient to build a new mine rather than importing it from mines which already exist that's not a defense of the way that mines are run around the world, but it's just not sensible to build new infrastructure when you can just import it from what's already there. It's a lot more inefficient. Do you like nuclear energy? No, because it takes too long. Also, like people are like, oh, it's renewable. It's just like free. It's magic energy out of nowhere. Let's ignore the fact that there's like horrible cancer-inducing waste Mm -hmm. secreted out of its yeah i mean there's the deep underbelly there's the, dungeon there's underbelly, the, and we will bury yeah. it deep underground and forget about it until <laughs> like 2150 or whatever and then like four generations away people will be like oh look the 21st century millennials were and like gen x were just pumping out loads of nuclear crap and just buried it underneath I um I actually live not that far from Sizewell B, mm. and that's where they are doing that massive expansion of the nuclear reactor, featuring yeah. the Chinese government. Yes, fun, interesting. We love the Chinese government. That they're totally responsible when it comes to building a nuclear reactor on the English coastline, and. Mm -hmm. That's going to overwhelm the little old, lovely, quaint Anglo-Saxon era church uh, nearby, which I've actually been to a funeral at. Oh. Yeah, it was sad that, wow. it, was, it, was sad that it was a funeral, but it was nice. Nice oh, sure. building. And it's like, I mean, there you go. It's like 1,300 years old, this little church. Wow. Old. That's that's that is modernity destroying old England in one nice little nutshell. There's a really cool thing on the internet, by the way, somewhere. I can't remember who made this, but there's a tool where you can like click on different nuclear power plants and it'll tell you what the probability of them getting blooded in the next hundred years is. Oh lord. Which obviously, as people will know, <laughs> if you flood a nuclear power plant, it's not very good news for anyone involved. Have you heard of Nuke Map? That's really twisted. No, but I think I can guess what it is. Somebody took the time and effort to get Google Maps as a base, and then work, and then come up with all the different nuclear missiles that have been invented over the past sixty years, and like the oh range, God. the range. You know, like you've got like the immediate death range, and then like the your kind of yeah. range going out as far as like the broken windows range and then they transplanted mm. that onto a google maps base so you can like scroll you can go to like lahore or like tokyo or like london or and like you can even like scroll in quite far to like you know like tesco and then you can just put a nuclear explosion on top of it and then it will like it comes up with really macabre stuff, like the casualties, and it's really dark. It's like, who took the time to come up with that map? But saying that, I also spent about half an hour. Yeah, that's mad. I also, like, <laughs> I think it's quite grim, but I also spent, like, half an hour looking at it. I so. mean, I'm doing it right now. 
Um, and the conclusion you get to yeah, this is mad. Nuclear weapons are, and this obviously ties into Boris Johnson's horrible defense review, cutting all of the armed services apart from nuclear weapons, which we're expanding, which is not nice. <sighs> nuclear weapons are quite rubbish, aren't they? Hot take. Yeah, they are a bit. Hot take, I know. Hot take, nuclear weapons, bad. <laughs> I think if someone, according to this map, which I'm, I'm like you now obsessing over, if someone wanted to nuke the centre of London, I'd just get caught in fireball radius. Would you be instantly dead? I think I'd be instantly burned, yeah. That's quite sad. Rest yeah. in peace, guest from episode six, Will Singh. <laughs> killed. I'll put that on my tombstone. Killed in a hypothetical nuclear explosion. Damn. Probably fired by a very angry uh, Prince Andrew. Oh my God. <laughs> Who's giving Prince Andrew nuclear weapons? <laughs> He's also sacrificing probably one of like his favourite cities just to uh, assassinate you. He listens into the podcast, mate. Well, of course. They all do. All the royal family. Listen, yeah. They gather around the wireless in the evening. Uh, Kim Jong-un, David Beckham, James Corden. Um, all your mates. All your famous celebrity friends. Uh, Joe Rogan. Everyone, he's checking his phone. Disgraceful. No. Will sings lies. Side. My phone's over there. We've got visual as well as audio. My phone's over there. Just what were you doing then? I was just checking. I was checking. I was checking your message. Okay. I reckon this has been an hour. I. I never like make enough uh, effort to see how long it's been, and obviously it won't tell me. Until after we stop recording. It's been a good episode. Um, I think it's been one of your more serious. I, I, I have to take some responsibility for that. I, I apologise to listen. It was quite serious. Climate change was quite serious, but uh, it has fairly bleak. It had some... Well, you started on... You started on Defend the Slave Burning Founding Fathers, which is pretty much hard to... Hard to, hard to gain a light tone back from that. Well, you took a you took the mantle of that, so um, especially the people of color audience know that Will Singh is off enslaving and defending the evil imperialist ambitions of the Enlightenment. Comment. <laughs> No comment. No comment. comment from as if, as if, as if any, as if, as if any major powers then, or frankly now, were any less racist. Wow. It's okay if everyone else is doing it. I see. Again, not the comment. Wow. Great banter from Will Singh. We have some amazing. We literally come up with like rubbish Honestly. like this every week. The rubbish, the rub, the rubbish you talk. Uh, you love it though. Literally, the the, the fucking British brought slavery to the Americas. Oh, you, are you? So I, don't know, to this point? I don't know how. You're coming back to this point. No, you're coming back. You're coming back to it. I'm just issuing a final defence for myself. I see. If you if the if the take is we don't like the American Revolution. The guys that we were against were a whole lot worse and also did the slavery thing. Wow. I'm just saying. Just just saying. Um, I will probably have you on as like not a regular guest because I don't have regular guests because I'm cool and I know lots of people. <laughs> you do. You're a very, uh, very wide circle of friends. But I, you must return several times over the next... Many episodes. Uh, we can over talk. the rest of our lives. We actually yes, we'll talk. do we'll do a pod. 
we talked we'll about do it we'll do a joint pod with glenn at some point yes that should be fun uh from glenn of episode two fame um but we actually talked about making a podcast way back in probably what's 2018 and we never did oh that would have been good 1718 yeah and now it would have been good we were kind of too busy with random nonsense i guess that we were supposed to be doing at the time um but now it's here now the harry page podcast is here very high quality esteemed podcast it's here and i still think you i still think you should have called the podcast hot take but here we are it's peak performance and we love it we love the little picture of the mountain yep Somebody said to me, um, somebody said to me recently, they were like, wait, is that real? I was like, no, it's not. Didn't I didn't climb a mountain recently. Yes. Harry actually climbed Everest during lockdown. That was his like, you know, people have the couch to 5k thing. That was your like, you will get up to climbing the mountain. Like a boss. What was the name of that guy who... Like the, you know, like the guy who the guy who first climbed Mount Everest, but he wasn't. He was clearly the first white guy to have like to be on the record to have climbed Mount Everest. Hmm. He was from New Zealand, and he had a got a guide from Nepal take him up the mountain. You think like if the local people are guides. And they've also lived in that area for like 4,000 years plus. Probably at some point, one dude off the record was climbing that mountain to the peak. Yeah, you'd have thought so, wouldn't you? You'd have thought so. No, but but, but no, it was that Kiwi guy. He was the first guy. He wrote it down, which makes it a fact. Some random Kiwi. He wrote it down. That's, I said, yeah. I suppose that's sort of true in historical terms. Checkmate, people of colour. Destroyed by writing. <laughs> oh dear, you're a mess, Harry. At the end of, he was thinking it's going so well as an episode. I was, yeah, I was like, right at the end, cancelled. <laughs> right at the death, Harry Page just attacks people of colour. That's <laughs> like four races. <laughs> Which is a dumb expression anyway, but yeah, so ooh, we know this. Ooh, he's dipping into No, we're not no, we're not going there because the podcast is done. And... We've done the hour. There's no time to go to That's a wrap, everyone. Yeah, they're all dumb. They're all dumb. We'll sing like slavery. We'll sing like slavery and the class system. Thank you very much. That's been episode six. <laughs> Thank you.